Marlo, testing, t testing. Are you there? I'm here. Hi, Dr. Burke. Can you hear me? Good. Everything is great. Put you back on mute. All right. Good evening, Terry. Terry, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Let's test. Can you hear me? You got to go up a little louder. That's still low. Uh, can you hear me now? No, you're still extremely low. I don't know what more to do. Um, I don't know how to uh, adjust my microphone volume. Uh, let me see what I can do on my end. Okay. Uh, one second. Dr. Kemp, can you hear Terry? Unlike Dr. Kemp. Can you hear her? I hear a little bit. Terry, try to speak up again. I'm sorry. Try to speak up again. Me? Yeah, can you hear that back? No, I still can't hear it's still low. I don't okay. know what to do. I'm wearing the headset. I can hear you guys, which is great. Um, the microphone attached to the headset doesn't have a 
control for increasing the volume. Uh, okay. So what we'll do, Terry, I'm going to just uh, let you type it in the chat tonight, okay? This is Okay. Okay. We'll adjust next time. Sounds good. Okay. All right. I'll type a lot in there. Jim will be on for the men's segment at uh, 8.30. Okay. Sounds good. Welcome to another evening of Dr. Clifford and Friends, featuring the absolute very best all the women's sports and HBCU athletics. We want to say welcome tonight. I have some co-hosts, Dr. Marlo Kemp. Everybody knows her. I'm going to unmic her in a second. Also working in the chat room with us. She's back with us again, the triple threat. Soon to be Dr. Cherry Williams and my co-host, Jim Waddell, will be with us halfway through the hour for the men's sports. And we look forward to having them with us. As you know, we cover the best. We cover all five conferences, the HBCU Sports, the SPAC, the SIAC, the MEAC, the CIAA, and the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. We also cover the independents, like Tennessee State University, North Carolina a and 
Hampton University, uh, Florida Memorial. And then we're also going to get bonus coverage tonight. We're going to cover Division One volleyball and men's football in addition. So we're going to bring it all to you. We're going to get started. And I'm going to unmike Dr. Kemp. Dr. Kemp, say hello to everybody. We have a big show for them. Dr. Kemp. Good evening, Dr. Burke. Good evening, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Hi, Terry. All righty. Terry's typing in the chat there tonight. All right. Well, a new month and a new woman of the month. And that is none other than tennis legend, Miss Billie Jean King. I'm only going to give you a little bit tonight because she has so much information on her. <laughs> it may take us two months to get through it. Of course, they honored her for the opening day at the U.S. Open, and they gave her a day of honor for all she's done for tennis just a week ago here at the U.S. Open when it started. But here we go. Billie Jean King, born November 22nd, 1943. She's an American, former world number one tennis player. King won 39 Grand Slam titles, 12 in singles, 16 in doubles, and 11 in mixed doubles. She was a member of the victorious United States team in seven Federation Cups and nine Whitman Cups. For three years, she was the U.S. captain in the Federation Cup. She's an advocate of gender equality and has long been a pioneer of equality and social justice. In 1973, at the age of 29, she famously won the Battle of the Sexes tennis match against then 55-year-old Bobby Riggs. King was also the founder of the Women's Tennis Association and the Women's Sports Foundation. She was instrumental in persuading cigarette brand Virginia Slims to sponsor women's tennis in the 1970s and went on to serve on the board Parent Cup, Philip Morris in the 2000s. There's so much more, so much more. We're going to go over about Miss Billie Jean King this month. Dr. Kemp, come on in. Tell us about Billie Jean King. What do you think? I mean, it was just like amazing. Just, I'm so happy. Um, thanks for selecting her as the woman of the month. Because, you know, just to, we always see her around this time with the U.S. Open, especially here at the U.S. Open and, you know, everything that she has accomplished and has given, you know, to the tennis um, arena. But just to listen and to read about all that she has accomplished is amazing, you know, how much she really has. And she's very humble you know, about what she has done um, and what I really um, enjoy um, about her is that she definitely has kept um, that gender equality um, at the forefront, you know, of, um, of tennis. And, and I think that that just helped to just get all of the other sports teams women you know sports teams um involved as well we always know it's there but she was definitely one of the leaders um in that so i'm i'm happy to learn more about billy jean king and glad that she is the woman of the month for september yep and dr kip uh many people of course making repeat pushing with soccer for equal pay but in mm -hmm. tennis women's tennis or tennis was the first one to have equal pay with men and women and that is because of none other than Miss Billy, Miss Billy Jean King. We got a lot more. Um, all right. Now, to another record breaker. When we one day start talking about Mount Rushmore, men and women, we're going to have to talk to Miss Simone Biles. 
just uh, about a week ago, she won a record straight eight U.S. championship on a Sunday night, 10 years after she ascended to the top of the sport as a teenage prodigy. Now, we all know she's making a comeback, and she's coming back to the Olympics. She's 26-year-old, she's a newlywed, and they say perhaps the greatest of all time. But uh, at a time when most athletes in gymnastics will be turning it in, Simone Biles seems to be turning it up. What do you think, Dr. Kemp? <laughs> you are absolutely right, Dr. Burr. She is definitely let, letting them know, okay, I may have been gone for two years, but I'm definitely back because uh, she is every competition. She is just spot on. And it's, it's like she never missed a beat. You know, it's yeah. just yeah. It, it's really nice to to see her, you know, perform um, in all of the routines. It is just amazing. It's like she has not missed a beat. So I can't wait yeah. to Paris, you know, next year. So I know she's going to definitely be on the team. Because they're going to need her to oh, win. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Gabby Douglas is coming back. You know, yes. we often talk about athletes who come back. Michael Jordan clearly uh, coming back. Muhammad Ali coming back. But anybody that has seen Simone Biles in these last two meets, you're right. She looks like she has not missed a day in the gym. And so, uh, yeah. And uh, her, her health is going to be good. Her mental health is, she's still getting the therapy. and and educating us all on that. And uh, Simone Biles, we're gonna just keep up with her, keep up with her. Oh yeah. All right, as we normally do, we focus on a business woman executive. And we have another African-American woman. By the way, we wanna welcome Benita Hayes to the show. We wanna welcome five of our engaged listeners to the show. And uh, this woman, her name is Nikki Duckett. Now, she's made her business to help athletes level up. In uh, 2015, she was appointed the Clippers' chief legal counsel and was the first only black woman to serve as a top lawyer for an NBA team. Now, she's changing the game once again with her new boutique legal consulting firm aimed at helping athletes expand their net worth, okay? She says today's generation of athletes are no longer just competitors. They're much more. They're businesses, commodities, brands. They're more sophisticated with an understanding that there's more to a legacy in sports than collecting championship rings or signing huge contracts and lucrative sneaker deals. And that's when Nikki Duckett comes into play. She navigates through the legalist and creative, creatively advises her athlete client base on the type of decisions that will help them build their legacies off the court. Think of her firm, Nikki Duckett Collective, as business expansion for players. Dr. Kemp, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm glad you brought her up. It's like they always have these hidden gems, you know, that are just uh, sitting behind, you know, just pushing and making the corporation work. Um, what I enjoy reading about her is like she, she was also in private practice for like the last, for like 16 years and never lost a case. So um, that definitely tells you something about her and, her and her work ethic and what she definitely, you know, brought to the table for the L.A. Clippers. And she's also an, an author. She wrote a children's book. And I think I have I can have a, another one that's out there as well. So she's definitely sharing her knowledge 
um, you know, to us and the, our young people and, um, you know, just keeping track of our athletes and helping them be all that they can be. So, I mean, my hat goes off to her. I like her. Another, uh, another female. Thanks, Dr. Bird, for bringing her to the forefront. All right. She's doing it. Doing it. We want to welcome Jeff to the show. And we're going to continue, uh, Dr. Kemp, to bring these women in business who are pushing forward in executive positions. We have plenty African-American and non-African-American, and we want to keep bringing them on our show. In fact, as much as we reach out to coaches and athletes, we're going to start reaching out to some of these others, like, such as her. All right. Now, you just can't enjoy a championship. <laughs> a few weeks ago, God bless them. The women of Spain won their Federation, World Federation soccer title. Immediately after, one of the players was kissed involuntarily on the mouth during a ce uh, celebration by the president of the Spain Soccer Federation, who has now been suspended. And uh, that just part of the story. His buddy, George Vilda, who is the coach of that same team in Spain, spoke up and said he didn't think it was a big deal. Today, he was fired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Dr. Yeah. Yeah. clear this up for us. Give us input. And we want everybody else to type in the chat. Type in the chat. You see, okay, when, when we thought the women movement was only here in the United States, we think that it is not. <laughs> it has gone over to Spain and they are not playing. I, you know, it, it is sad because just that one little mistake that he did, he just got overexcited, you know, just probably wanted to make a statement. I don't know what he was thinking um you know when he did that um and you know it has cost him it's cost him it's cost it has cost the coach because they just felt like it was no big deal you know when it actually was a big deal it was a big deal to um the player you know without any type of consent so and then he want they you know allegedly lied and said that um that she did consent you know to him doing that so, the whole world you know, watched like, it <laughs> right, exactly. You know, so yeah, this is the one behind closed doors. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So Dr. he said he's the victim. Yeah, there's a little more to the story as well. As we know, the women protesting said they weren't going to play again for Spain until this was corrected. Uh, but also, there were complaints prior to them winning the title. Uh, mm -hmm. Just some research, they had filed complaints of the working conditions. One of those was that when they were on the road playing games, the coaches would require them to leave their hotel doors open to 12 midnight. And then anything they did, like if they went out shopping on the road or anything, the coaches had the right to go through all of this. So there were some other conditions leading up prior to this uh, game that the women of Spain have been speaking about already. So. Uh, I guess enough is enough, mm -hmm. and now the whole world, you know. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. So maybe it was a blessing that maybe maybe it was a blessing that he did what he did, and he just thought that he can get away with it. But you know, like you said, it was um, 
you know, it's always a reason why people do things and then it comes out and you, you just have to suffer the consequences for their actions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're going to keep, we're going to keep an eye on that in Spain and uh, things are changing in Europe. Just like the changing here in the U.S. Proud of the ladies. Proud of the ladies. All righty. Now, in fact, uh, we're going to make sure that we, uh, we we give those ladies a hand. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. We're going to move on. World record set this weekend. Dr. Kemp. We said that we were covering volleyball, how important it was of a sport. We also said there's a lot of scholarship money left on the table, and it's growing. This weekend, the University of Nebraska played the University of Omaha in volleyball. They beat them 3-0. But the big story is this. The largest crowd to ever watch a women's match in anything filled Memorial Stadium 92,003 fans filled that stadium to watch that volleyball match. That's a major accomplishment. It makes a statement. And I'm really hoping that we can develop a women's pro volleyball league. So tell us, what do you think about Nebraska and Omaha? The game's moving forward. Come on with me. That was, um, that was amazing when I saw that. At first, I just couldn't, you know, you know, comprehend it, you know, until they showed that aerial shot, you know, that you saw with all those fans there. And then they, you know, brought, brought the team out, you know, like it was a championship <laughs> match. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I thought it was like really cool. And then the, you saw the ladies like really getting hyped up. Um, you know, before the match. Um, so, and they were saying how they had, you know, previously planned that so they could try to, you know, break the world record attendance, um, which I thought was just, you know, awesome on their part, just to think ahead, you know, of that and to actually um, try to come up with that and, and then pull it off. And then, you know, their fans, everybody was a part of it, you know, to make it happen. So, yeah. And, and so that so was great. Sure, it's a great sport. You know, scholarships, Division One, mm -hmm. Division Two, Division Three, NAIA, and they yeah. pay the same amount in scholarship money as basketball and football. Now, there are some men's teams and men's conferences being developed, HBCU and PWIs. So, as young men, everybody, football, basketball, baseball, if you can get to a scholarship to college, they'll get your way paid. And let me just say this, keep those student loans down. That's not a bad way to go. All right, no, Nebraska, Omaha, ladies, great job. And then, um, Dr. Bert. <clears throat> yep. I was just wanting, um, you know, to also, you know, have them remember too, that isn't volleyball, is it still part of the Olympic? Um, Absolutely. part of the Olympics, you know, so Absolutely. that's something that another, you know, um, another uh, award or avenue that they can pursue after they finish, you know, college is just to strive if, you know, that's something that they want to do. So it's not over after college. Oh, yeah. So we could get a chance to mention 
our second woman of the month from way back, or third woman of the month in January, Lo Hyman. All righty. <laughs> All right. Now, we said we're going to bring it to you. So here we go. This week, we're going to bring you <clears throat> the SWAT and the SIAC, the volleyball standings. We're just going to give you the team's overall records because they've already gotten started. So now, let's introduce you to the teams. Women's volleyball standing in the SWAT conference. Okay? Prairie View, two and four. Mississippi Valley State, one and three. Florida A&M, one and five. Alabama A&M, one and five. Grambling, one and six. Southern, 0 oh and one. Jackson State, 0 oh and three. Alcorn State, 0 oh and three. Alabama State, 0 oh and six. Arkansas Pine Bluff, 0 oh and six. Texas Southern, 0 oh and six. And Bethune-Cookman, 0 oh and six. Now, most of those teams, these are their non-conference games, okay? So let's keep up with that. And while they'll get in the conference play after about another three or four games. And most of the conference volleyball championships will be in November. Moving on to the SIAC. And the SIAC, they have East and Western conferences. These are overall records in the East. Fort Valley State, 2-0. Clark Atlanta, 1-2. Benedict, 0-0. Savannah State, 0-0. Edward Waters, 0-1. Albany State, 0-5. Allen, 0-1. In the West, Lane College, 2-3. Spring Hill who are the defending champs in the SIAC for the last five years. Okay? Mm. 3-0. Tuskegee, 0-0. Wow, 0-0. Jamal Owen, 0-1. Central State, 0-1. Kentucky State, 0-2. So that fills the women in the SIAC. Now, the only HBCU to have men's volleyball, the only conference, is the SIAC, Southern Intercollegiate Conference, and they're further along this season. So I'm going to give you both. Edward Waters, 14 4 overall, and conference 10 and 0. Central State, 17 and 14 overall, 8 and 2 in conference. Benedict, 11 and 8 overall, 6 and 5 in conference play. Fort Valley State, 7 and 19 overall, and in conference play, 4 and 6. Kentucky State, 3 and 26 overall, 2 and 8 in conference play. And the men of Morehouse, 0 and 19 overall, 0 and 11 in conference play. These six schools are the only men's schools in the SIAC. They play in one whole division, and that's where they stand right now. So then, that is the SIAC. Last one in HBCU, the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference women. Talladega, and we're just giving the overall, they're five and four. Oakwood, two and oh. Dillard. Runner-up last year, 6-3, and three, and the coach, Dr. Ashley Johnson, will be on our show next week. This university, 2-6 and six overall, Rust 2-9, Southern University of New Orleans 0-0, Tugelo 0-4, Wiley 0-4, Philander Smith 0-4, and the University of Virgin Islands does not have a team playing volleyball in the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference this year. Next week, we'll have the MEAC, we'll have the CIAA, and we have the NCAA Division One women's top volleyball breakdown. So there you have it. There you have it. Dr. Kemp, your comments. Volleyball is here. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All righty. 
Now it's let's move on. I just wanted ahead. to just go ahead, Dr. Kim. Sorry, Doctor. I was waiting for the fans to, you know, calm down okay. a little bit. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they get hyped over volleyball. They get hyped. Yeah, All right. All right. So, um, <laughs> that's that's right. It's interesting. I thought it was interesting that the men, you know, although it it was uh, what two about well, six six teams that are actually in the yeah. SIAC, and then looks like they play a lot more games, you know, than you know, of course, than the female. Um, no, you, no. Uh, their counterparts. No, um, no? No. Oh. no, 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 no. They start immediately when school. They stagger it, so they're starting two weeks ahead of the women's schedule. So they'll oh. finish a little ahead of the women's schedule. Both will play the same amount of games. Yeah. Okay. Okay. They just start ahead of the women and then the, okay. The women will fall yeah. into place as well. Absolutely. Okay. I was wondering. Okay. <laughs> All righty. Got it. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. Okay. Got cleared up. All righty. So now let's take a look. We're going to the U.S. Open. Coco Golfs. Dr. Kemp. Today, she advanced in the quarterfinals mm -hmm. against Ostapenko. She beat a 6-0, 6-2. Ostapenko beat Ia Swigatek in her last match, the number one ranked women in the world. She knocked her out. So this singles, women, is wide open. Just tell me, Dr. Kent, what do you think of Coco Golf's progression? You know, one year, one year after Serena retired. Wow. What do you think? It, it to me, it just seemed like she was just waiting. It, you know, she was just waiting to just step up. It's just like, okay, now that Serena is out the way, is retired. Thanks, Serena. It's like she is, you know, it's like she's just like, <laughs> breathe a sigh of relief, you know, and just like, all right, I'm here now. I am here. And I mean, because she, she is really playing. She yeah. is playing. She's playing very well. I, I'm I'm really proud of her. Um, you know, some some of some of the matches were, you know, of course you had you on the edge of the seat, you know, praying, you know. <laughs> but, but it's um I mean from from last year, um, she's definitely definitely improved. I, I'm very I'm, I'm happy for her. Well, her defeating Sweatek in the last yes. tournament in Cincinnati a month ago or less than a month ago, after losing mm -hmm. to her seven times, has definitely given her that next level of confidence. So yep. uh, that's one thing. Let me mention this. For the first time in history, Fritz, even though he lost to Djokovic today in the men's division, Coco Golf, Madison Keys, and Tiafo, the U.S. have had four African-Americans make the quarterfinals at the U.S. Open. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's the history making right there. So hey, hey, that, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Good man. All righty. Now I want to give you one more thing, Dr. Kemp, before we leave the U.S. Open. We've been keeping up with her. She's been doing such a great job in the doubles. Her mom was on last week with us, and today, um, Taylor Townsend and Fernandez lost in the quarterfinals to Dabrowski and Vukliff. 6-2, they took the first set, but they lost the next one 6-3, and then the tiebreaker, 7-6. Mm -hmm. So so they are out. And uh, But hey, 
They did a good job. They had a great run. And um, way to represent the U.S. Just here at the U.S. Open. Dr. Kemp, you had a comment. Yeah, we'll definitely send our, yes, we'll definitely send our congratulations, you know, to, to Taylor and um, Hernandez, her, her doubles partner. Um, it'd be curious to see if she, because Hernandez didn't play with her in the Cincinnati um, tournament. Correct. That's the one that she, they actually won that tournament. So um, for whatever reason, don't know why. So, um, you know, but we just say congratulations and be interesting to see if she had played with her doubles partner from the Cincinnati um, tournament, what would have happened? You know, we won't, we won't know, but just congratulations to them for Absolutely. making it as far as they have made it. Absolutely. Cliff. Got a quick fact for you. Gonna hold on, hold on, bring you on. Um, got a quick one for you, Dr. Kemp. India Pulfus, remember this name now. India Pulfus is a place picker. First time in history, she gets field goals and extra points for Shaw University. First time HBCU and in the CIAA that they've had a place kicker. Okay, so let's give that young lady a hand. India Pulse, the freshman down to Shaw University in the CIAA. Yes, sir. India Pulse, P U L P H U S. Okay. Before we go to commercial, we want to get one more in because things are heating up. This is the WNBA. We're getting down near the playoffs. Only 44 games. Most have played about 37. In the Eastern Conference, New York Liberty, 37, and they have clinched a playoff berth. Connecticut Sun, 25 and 12. They have clinched a playoff berth. In the bottom, Indiana Fever. Yeah, Boston, they are the one team so far that has been eliminated. Okay? Oh, no. Atlanta okay. Dream is third. Washington Mystics, fourth. Well, they're both tied with 17 and 20. The Chicago Sky, 15 and 22. All three of those in the Eastern Conference still fighting for a playoff spot. Let's go to the Western Conference. Las Vegas Aces, 32-6, clinched the playoff spot. Dallas Wings, 2017, clinched the playoff spot. Minnesota Lynx, Alicia Collier coming back strong this year. They have clinched a playoff spot. The Sparks are still in the hunt. They got to win some games. And then it says Seattle and Phoenix have been eliminated. All right. That gives us our playoff picture. We're coming down to the nitty gritty. And uh, I want to share something with you on the stats of the league. And I always said that. Um, <clears throat> That Asia Wilson gets stronger in the second half of the season. Here are the leading mm -hmm. scores now. Dual Lord of Seattle, 24.3. Second place, Brianna Stewart, 22.8. But Asia Wilson has stepped it up to 22.3. Fisa Collier, 21.3. And Erika Angubo, 21.1. Asia Wilson was fifth and not even in the top five scores when the league began this year. So let's get ready for the playoffs. Dr. Kim, what do you think? The Ace have lost some games in the last month, and the Liberty are getting hot, and the Connecticut Sun is sitting right there. What do you think, Dr. Kim? Let me give them all a hand first. What do you think? Hmm? 
you took the words out of my mouth. I was just gonna say <laughs> that. It was just like it seemed like lately the the liberties have just been hot, and and because they've beaten the aces a couple of uh, in a couple of games, yes. uh, two or three games. And it's just, yes. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I, I just can't wait to see who is going to, um, you know, who's gonna the the pairing of the playoffs. Um, it, it's gonna be good. It's going to definitely be good. And you definitely right about April. She can't. She can't wait. Absolutely. I want to give you one more quick rundown before we go to break, and then Jim's gonna come on. We got a lot HBCU football, NFL. It's all coming at us. But I want to get you started. And these are just the first week of HBCU sports after the first weekend of rankings. North Carolina State was ranked number one at one and zero. M one and zero. Number two in the country, Morgan State, 1-0. Number three, Alabama State, 1-0. Number four, ranked Prairie View, 1-0. Number five, Hampton, 1-0. Number six, Jackson State, 1-1. One one. They're number seven, Howard, 0-1. They're eight. And Texas Southern, 0-1. They're nine. And Southern, 0-1. They're 10. You have to check on that Howard score. So that's what you have going into the first week rankings, Division One for HBCUs. We're going to get you a lot more in the weeks to come. We'll take a break. We're coming right back. Jim's going to give us the breakdown. All righty. Pamela Renee, qualifying broker, CEO, 2870 Peachtree Road, Suite 992, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. That's Pamela at prrenaeestate.com, 404-964-4294. Dr. Clifford and friends featuring the absolute very best in all of the sports in HBCU athletics. We have 15 engagers listening on the line. We got Jeff with us, Benita with us, Terry with us. We have some other listeners here who I can't get their uh, get their names, but welcome to the show tonight, along with others who will be joining us. Jim, let me unmike you, and let's bring us all the men's sports for the next 15 minutes. We'll take a break, and then we'll go again. Jim, can you hear me? Yes, I can. All right. You're coming in loud and clear. And listeners, type in the chat if you have any comments or questions. You got it, Jim. Okay. We had a great weekend of football with the HBCU couple classics and our top 10. We have number one, North Carolina Central. They rolled over uh, Winston-Salem State University 47 to 21. Wow. FAMU in a game they've been waiting for for a year. 
<coughs> Number two defeated Jackson State 28 to 10 down at the uh, Orange Blossom Classic in Miami. Arizona State defeated, oh, no, 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 Alabama State, wrong ASU, defeated Southern 14 to 10. Morgan State defeated Richmond. They're the number four team in the HBCU poll. Jackson State, even though they lost to FAMU, came in at number five. Howard lost to Eastern Michigan in a game where I understand that it was closer than the score indicated, but Eastern Michigan returned a punt and a kickoff for a touchdown. Mm. North mm. North Carolina A&T lost to uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham. Southern, as we said before, lost to Alabama State. Alcorn State lost to number nine. Alcorn State lost to Southern Miss in a game that was chippy before the start. And Prairie View A&M defeated Texas Southern. Now, as I told you about the FAMU game, FAMU JSU game. Do you remember back to last year when FAMU played yes. JS Jackson State? Yes. They had about, they were missing about 30 players because of some financial aid issues that their papers weren't processed. This was the only game that FAMU lost in the SWAC last year. Mm-hmm. So they were looking forward to that game all year to avenge that loss. Mm-hmm. So they, they clearly... Yeah, they clearly outplayed Jackson State, who looked good last week when they played in their first game with their new team and a new quarterback. But they were clearly outclassed this time by FAMU. Now, another another game of interest of nine of hey, Jim, non-top Jim, ten teams. Can I ask a question? Yes. Before you move on, in that sure game. Can. Are these considered the top two quarterbacks in the SWAC? Because that boy from Florida A&M can play, and this boy from Jackson State can play too. These are considered the top two quarterbacks in the SWAC. In the SWAC, yes. Now, I'd include that quarterback from North Carolina Central if you're talking about HBCUs. Right. But in the SWAC, these two are probably the class in the SWAC. Okay. Now, in another game outside the uh, top ten, Hampton defeated Grambling 35 to 31. I guess you got to include him too. Hampton's quarterback, Chris Zellis. Yeah. Scored four touchdowns, two rushing, and two passing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grambling scored a late touchdown to make it 35 31 and failed to convert the onside kick. Mm-hmm. Now, these, like I said, these two teams are both outside of the top 10. <laughs> but it would not surprise me if one or both sneak into the top 10 before the year is through. Mm-hmm. Now, next, a game that Cliff and I happen to see the highlights of. Virginia State defeated Norfolk State 33-24. Yes. Yes. Now, why is this important? You just have to hear the breakdown on the last six seconds. <laughs> With six seconds left, VSU had a fourth and seven, and they went for it, and they were on about the five their five-yard line. 
All they had to do was run the ball for six seconds. They could have ran out of the end zone because they were leading by three points, get a safety, and then you know, call it a day. But the quarterback ran out of bounds with one second left on about the nine-yard line. This allowed Norfolk to line up for a game-tying field goal. What? The center hiked the ball over the over the holder's head, Ooh. and Virginia State returned it for a touchdown. <laughs> well, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that, Jim. <laughs> yeah. So you know the quarterback who who ran inexplicably ran out of bounds with one second left, got a reprieve. Now the long snapper <laughs> did not. Because this was a chip shot, and he shot the ball over the the, the holder's head, mm-hmm. and they ran it back. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I I've never seen me. anything like that before. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, this was also one of the two games this weekend where Division Two team Virginia State defeated a Division One team in Norfolk State. Uh, the other one. We'll talk about that as well. But anyway, yeah, keep going, Jim. Yeah, this was – oh, boy, that was uh, (laughs) – What was the final score, Jim? 33 to 24. Wow. Now, it was 27-24 when all this happened before they ran the touchdown back. So it was – I can't imagine it. I can't really say it it was heartbreaking because they still had to make the field goal to tie the game to bring it into overtime. But, you know, it's... Never got the chance. (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, wow. Jim, what was the game? Was it at Norfolk State or at Virginia State? You can play it down at Norfolk State. I've gone to that game before. Probably. (laughs) Since Norfolk State was a D1 team, yeah. I would say it was there. Yeah, it's usually down there. I used to go to that game. Okay. Mm, right. Mm, mm. But, you know, since you are, uh, uh, how can I say, you've lived in Virginia. How far is Norfolk from Richmond? Oh, about 70 miles. And if you take another 20 up the road, you're at Virginia State. So that's about 90 total. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it All right. Was- Interesting. Oh, Virginia State is not in Richmond? No. Petersburg. Yes, Petersburg. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, they had a good bus ride home. They had a good bus ride. I was ride. just going to say it was a long bus <laughs> <laughs> ride But if you're Norfolk game, State. It would have been a long ride. <laughs> if you're Norfolk State, you had a long walk to the dorm. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. Because Heart that. Power. Heartbreaking. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. But right. the other one was uh, Bowie State defeated Delaware State mm-hmm. 22 to 11. Mm-hmm. And this was another upset. Uh-oh. Uh, you know, Delaware State unveiled its new uh, mascot and uniforms. All to a 
loss against Bowie State, which is a div- again a Division <laughs> Two team. Mm-hmm. CIAA beats the MIAC yeah. again. <laughs> so Bowie State came in just looking to play a good game against the Division One program. But they used a swarming defense and opportunistic offense to surprise the Hornets, spoiling the home debut of the new Hornets coach, Lee Hall. <laughs> he said, Bowie State's coach said, we've got a lot of stuff to clean up, but it's always good to put one in the W column. Yes, Coach always. Kyle Jackson said it was the first game. There were some jitters and mistakes, so we still have work to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I'm sure he's happier that the work was done and he got the W. That's right. Okay. Now, bear with me because I'm trying to. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, let's see. Alabama State Southern. As we said before, this was a defensive battle that was won by Alabama State 14 to 10. And if I can go pull up my stats here, it was this close game that was most of the score, the Labor Day Classic, most of the scoring was done in the first half. Mm-hmm. And this is Eddie Robinson Jr.'s first, second season at Grambling. Okay. And the Jaguars opened the first game points on opening drive score, which was matched by a 43-yard touchdown reception from the Hornets, Keshawn Johnson, following the only touchdowns in the first half. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, Alabama State had a touchdown, and uh, Southern kicked a field goal. To make the final score fourteen to ten. Mm-hmm. Now, where was that game? About, Did it say where that game was played at gym? Did it say? I probably at Alabama. It State. does not, but I I don't know. I want to say Southern. Okay. Mm-hmm. I am not sure on that one. I'm just now, curious. Inquiring minds want to know. I get it. <laughs> HBCU games next week. Go ahead. Yeah, hold on. Before we go to next week, Jim, I want to talk a little bit about we still love him because Dr. Kemp is on here. The Notre Dame Tennessee State uh-uh, game. See, I, I yeah. just, I, <laughs> Again. We were watching that game. Notre Dame scored to make it 7-0. TSU drove down the field. Had to settle for a field goal on the ensue. I don't think it was a kickoff, but on it, yeah, it was a kickoff. Notre Dame fumbled. TSU recovered inside the tent. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame held TSU, and TSU tried to kick another field goal and missed it. I think it the was, kicker was on the take. <laughs> it, it was downhill after that. <laughs> but I did see something about. Eddie George said, we're here more to get more than a check. And I believe they got a million dollars for that game. They did. Uh, yeah, that, well, at least that's what was as, reported. As Dion said earlier, I, you know, I hope some of these games we start getting $2 million, something like that. That's more money. Because I'm sure with TSU's band coming up there and they had to fly up there, there probably wasn't a net profit of much. 
Yeah. Well, you know, last year we go ahead. I was just going to say, well, it started off exciting. You know, it was really exciting. And, you know, TSU was, you know, <laughs> in there a little bit wait a during minute. the first, wait a first quarter. I said during the first quarter. <laughs> After the first quarter, I guess Notre Dame was like, okay, let us stop playing here. Let, you know, let's stop, stop playing around. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, if, if Marcus Freeman would have lost that game, he would have been ex Notre Dame football coach. Well, go ahead, Cliff. I didn't see the game, but I assume the most exciting part was the Tennessee State aristocratic band pregame and halftime. Okay, fifty-six to three. Fifty-six. Anyway, I right, Jim, let's keep rolling. Well, Cliff, <laughs> there, you know, you mentioned that there were two Division two teams that beat. Mm -hmm. Division one teams. There were two more actually, okay. because well, Mor Morgan State I guess is classified as a D one. They beat Richmond, the University of Richmond. Okay, seventeen okay. to Great. ten, and Central State beat Mississippi Valley State, twenty four twenty one. Now, Marlo, you've got some else to be happy about because your <laughs> beloved Vanderbilt Commodores beat Alabama A and M forty seven to thirteen. Okay, okay. And, you know, look down here. A lot of money games occurred because you had Southern Miss beating Alcorn State and Memphis beat Bethune Cookman. So, in Prairie View, beat. Yes. All right, so let's do this. We're going to take a one minute break and then we'll come back with prime time. All right? Big story. All right, one minute okay. break. Back to Cliff Burton Friends, teaching the absolute very best in all the women's sports and HBCU athletics. All right, we're going over men's football. Jim, that's what we have next. Well, the Colorado Buffaloes, yeah, who <laughs> only have 10 returning scholarship players, 68 either transfers or freshmen, played TCU. Horn Frogs, which are the national runner-up last year, as they lost to Georgia in the championship game. Very few people gave Colorado a chance, except Dion. Dion was doing a lot of talking, and it comes out that he had a little extra on it. He and Sh uh, he and Shadour because uh, when he was Shadour was being recruited out of high school, mm -hmm. he 
had originally committed to Florida International because of head coach Willie Taggart, who uh, Dion and him were very close. So Willie Taggart's, I guess, offensive coordinator was Kendall Bryles. And Kendall Bryles was cool to, uh, cool, not in a good way, but he was just kind of standoffish toward Shador. So Dion ended up taking the Jackson State job, and Shador decommitted to go to Jackson State with his dad. So they had a little, you know, they were really looking forward to this game. And one thing that he had on his side was there's no tape of Colorado last year that would be worth anything. Mm-hmm. So I remember the coaches saying that, you know, did you watch any tape on Colorado? He said, no, because none of the players are there. So Shadur came out and threw 38 for 47 for 510 yards and four TDs. I, I believe that has to be a record for your first game in the Pac-12, I guess, because they'll be yeah. in the Big 12 ne- next year. You know, 37 for 40, 38 for 47 is 77% completion rate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He also threw to four receivers for over a hundred yards each. Mm. That's something that you rarely see. Mm-hmm. Travis Hunter, Dion's Ballyhood recruit from last year. Boy. Caught a touchdown pass over and he was had over a hundred yards receiving. Also had an interception as he played. I believe a hundred, a hundred plus plays because yeah. he played offense and defense. Yeah. Now the one thing I, I watched it at half, the one thing I see that could be a problem with Deion's team is just their interior defense. But to beat this TCU team on your first game in the, Big 12. I had to be careful because they're going to be in the Pac-12. <laughs> no, the Pac-12 because they're going to be in the Big 12 next year versus TCU. So this is a heck of an accomplishment. And, you know, even then, you know, a lot of the old guard coaches are, oh, this is not the way to play football. This is not the way to do something. And I noticed one thing on the jersey. You know, most people have a C for captain. Mm-hmm. Shador had an L and uh, Travis Hunter had a D. Mm. The L is for leaders and the D is for dog. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Colorado has moved up. They're ranked number 22 in the country right now, correct? Yes. That's what I read. And then I also read that uh, Shador Sanders got a call from Tom Brady after the game. Now, he has an NIL deal with him. But uh, Brady gave him some great advice, and he said, uh, uh, don't be satisfied. Don't be satisfied. And so Shadour Sanders is unstoppable. He's as calm to me, Jim, as the quarterback that you're going to see. And we saw him live last year against Tennessee State. Yeah. The other thing is Travis Hunter has to be the best athlete in the country. He reminds me of a young version of Deion Sanders. And I think a lot of people are starting to see why Mm Deion got him. Because mm-hmm. of, or Charles Woodson. Or Charles Woodson. He's exceptional. They're already talking Heisman for one of those two, depending how yeah. they yeah. turn out the next seven the game, you know? You know? Yeah. 
So, uh, all I have to say is, time. go ahead, Marlo. I was say, all I have to say is, do you believe now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's Dan, still Dan. some people that are doubting, unfortunately, yeah. and you know, right. he's got Nebraska next week at home. Nebraska, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's home opener. Nebraska is a, you know, it's crazy because I, I remember these things the other way, but Nebraska is a Big Ten team, mm -hmm. did not do well last year, have mm -hmm. a new coach. So that'll be a very interesting game, mm -hmm. which I think that Colorado should win. And I think they've got a uh, lower uh, non-top five conference team that they play in the third week. So Colorado could start out three and zero. Mm -hmm. All right. How the rest of the top ten looking in the country, Jim? The top ten. Well, Georgia beat up on. You know they won their game handily. Michigan beat East Carolina, East Carolina, yeah, thirty to three. Alabama won. I believe they played Middle Tennessee State. Florida State, in somewhat of a shocker, beat Clemson 28-7. to I watched that game last night. Florida State? They beat, <laughs> Florida State, they beat no, LSU. No, no. Yeah, Duke. Duke beat Clemson. Duke. Oh, I got my idea. Florida State beat LSU, and, you know, the uh, Ryan Kelly fans are already upset. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ryan Kelly detractors. Already upset, you know. If it was at, if it was at LSU in a night game, they probably were well lubricated. Okay. After that game, but you know FSU looked good. Okay. And with Clemson down, you know they could be the uh, class of the ACC again. Mm -hmm. Ohio State with the two quarterback system. Won their game. UCLA, USC with the Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams, who, by the way, I heard is fifth on the NIL list and he's making $2.4 million. Okay. Mm. And there's also talk that if uh, the Arizona Cardinals draft him, you know, Caleb got that kind of money and probably even get more out in L.A. Might say, now nah, I'm good. I'll come back for another year. I don't want to go to Arizona. Okay. So that's something to look into. Penn State won handily. Washington won handily. Tennessee won handily. And we've talked about Notre Dame already. Mm -hmm. I just want to add on that, um, at least in the Notre Dame game, that uh, Eddie George's son did have a sack. So oh, go TSU Tigers. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I didn't, and I did not know, Marlo, I did not know that he was a uh, defensive lineman. Yeah. I thought he'd be a running either. back or guy, but he, he's 6'2", 280 pounds. I was like, darn. And as a freshman. So. I'm like, Eddie, what are you and Taj feeling, boy? But anyway, some key games to look. Yes. Wait. Key games to look for next year, next week. Alabama plays Texas. Mm -hmm. Alabama has some injuries in their secondary. And Texas with Quinn Ewers looks good. So there's less like number four versus number 11. That's going to be a good one. Texas A&M 
plays Miami, mm-hmm. which, you know, if Jimbo is going to get back into good graces at Texas A&M, he's going to beat somebody. And, of course, Colorado versus Nebraska, mm-hmm. which used to, when they both were in the Big Eight, used to be a big rivalry. But now that you're in Big Ten and Pac-12, it's like another game. Mm-hmm. But I still think you would, it'll be another test for Dion. Mm-hmm. Because let's say he won, the, the Colorado won one game last year and lost their games by an average of over 28 points. Okay. So they are really trending upward. So, Jim, uh, we got a few minutes left. We want to talk about the HBC players that made the 53 man rosters in the NFL. Uh, and those who made it and those we expected to make it that did What's our uptake uh, on that? Because they get started NFL next week. So how many HBCU players made it? They are probably over 20 players with HBCU ties in the pros now. Now, Emmanuel Wilson was one we talked about, a running back from, I believe, Fort Valley State? Yeah. That made the Green Bay Packers 53-man roster. Yep. Titus Howard made the Houston Texans 53-man roster. Joshua Williams. Kansas City. Washington has two with Danny Johnson and Trent Scott. The punter for the New York... Giants, Jamie Gillen. James Houston again made the Detroit Lions. He had eight sacks last year. Kadero Hodge made the Atlanta Falcons. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You went low, Jim. Oh no, I, I I had to do I had to do it with pictures since my uh internet was okay. out. Kobe Duran, Ricky Lee, Javon Hargrave. Now, they have some players that we might recognize that are added to the practice squad. Well, Isaiah Lamb was waived by the Dallas Cowboys who made the Indianapolis Colts, which probably gives him a better chance of playing because the Cowboys have a good defense. And Chauden Cherilis was waived by the Carolina Panthers. I mean, waived by the New York Jets and made the Carolina Panthers. Mm -hmm. Now, Andrew Farmer, we talked about last year, made the practice squad for the Los Angeles Chargers. Mm -hmm. Sean Dixon made the Jacksonville Jaguars practice squad. Keenan Isaac, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Shaq Davis, another player we talked about last year, New Orleans Saints practice squad. Mark Mm -hmm. Evans, also New Orleans Saints practice squad, a a defense offensive lineman, and Xavier Smith made the Los Angeles Rams practice squad. All right, so we do it pretty good with our HBCU players, mm-hmm. and I just want to get this in before we go because we said we're going to give it to them. This week, we get started Thursday night. Here's our NFL schedule. Detroit and Kansas City, Carolina and Atlanta over the weekend, Cincinnati and Cleveland, Jacksonville Indianapolis, Indianapolis, Tampa Bay and Minnesota, Tennessee and New Orleans, San Francisco and Pittsburgh, Arizona and Washington, Houston and Baltimore, Green Bay and Chicago, Las Vegas to Denver, Philadelphia to New England, Miami at Los Angeles, Los Angeles 
at Seattle and Dallas at New York, and then Monday night, Buffalo at the New York Jets. So that's our weekend coming up in the NFL. Next week, uh, Marlo, the gym, let's give us a final comment, then Marlo, and then we'll, we'll, I'll take us away. Jim? I was going to say also the young man we saw, uh, Isaiah Bolden, the only HBCU player drafted who we saw get carried out on the cart, didn't make the injured reserve. So wow. hopefully he'll be playing this year once he recovers. Sounds good. All right, thanks a lot, Jim. A lot of good sports there. Dr. Kim, mm -hmm. your comments. Thank you, Jim. Well, if you're not ready for some football, you better get ready because <laughs> it is here <laughs> from college to NFL. Uh, but again, don't forget about our volleyball players and, of course, the U.S. Open. So can't wait to see we what happens. We'll be back with you next week. We have Dr. Ashley Johnson. She's a volleyball coach at Dillard University. We're runner-up last year in the Gulf Coast. They, are, they have a winning record so far. She's a volleyball player played at the University of Indiana. She's also a doctor of physical therapy on several of her mm -hmm. own offices. So she's good with education as well. And we are looking forward to having her on the show. Please spread the Peter, spread the word. We get a lot of downloads on our show. We get a lot of listeners to our show. And we thank you for everything you do. We will see everyone back in 168 hours from now. Jim, thank you. Terry, thank you. Hello. Kim, thank you so much. We'll see you back. Bye-bye. Go Lions. Bye.